0: Chapter fourteen of the Ashiel Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ashiel Mystery by Mrs. Charles Bryce. Chapter fourteen gimblet was up early next morning refreshed by a sound and dreamless sleep for two hours before breakfast he wrestled with the cryptic message on the sheet of paper trying first one way then another of solving the riddle it presented but still finding no solution he was silent and preoccupied during the morning meal replying to inquiries as to his headache alternately with obvious inattention and exaggerated gratitude Neither of the ladies spoke much however and his absent-mindedness passed almost unnoticed Lord Ashiel was to be buried that day before they left the dining-room sombre figures could be seen striding along the high road toward Invershill inhabitants of the scattered villages and people from the neighbouring estates hurrying to show their respect for the dead peer for the last time the tragic circumstances of the murder had aroused great excitement all over the countryside and a large gathering assembled at the little island at the head of the loch where the mcconaghan's had left their bones since the early days of the youth of the race from the surrounding glens from distant hills and valleys and even from far away edinburgh and oban came mcconaghan's to render their final tribute to the head of the clan It was surprising to see how large was the muster, for the most part a company of tall, thin men with lean faces and drooping wisps of moustache. To a mournful dirge on the pipes, Ashel was laid in his rocky grave, and the throng of black-garmented people was ferried back the way it had come. Gimblet, wrapped to the ears in a thick overcoat, with a silk scarf wound high around his neck, shivered in the cold air, for the wind had veered to the north, and the first breath of the arctic winter was already carried on it the waters of the loch had turned a slaty black little angry waves broke incessantly over its surface and inky black clouds were gathering slowly on the distant horizon it looked as if the fine weather were at an end as if nature herself were mourning angrily at the wanton destruction of her child The pity and regret Gimblet had felt, as he stood by the murdered man's grave, suddenly turned to a feeling of rage, both with himself and with the victim of the crime. Why in the world had he not managed to guard against the danger of whose imminence he had full warning? And why, in the name of everything that was imbecile, had Lord Ashel, who knew much better than anyone else how real the danger was, chosen to sit at a lighted window, and offer so tempting a target to his enemy? suddenly in the midst of his musings a sound fell on the detective's ear a voice he had heard before low and musical and curiously resonant he looked in the direction from which it came and saw two people standing together a little apart in the crowd of those waiting at the water's edge for a craft to carry them ashore there were only two or three boats and though the gillies bent to their oars with a will every one could not cross the narrow channel which divided the island from the mainland at one and the same time a group had already formed on the beach of those who were not the first to get away and among these were the two figures that had attracted gimblet's attention they were two ladies who stood watching the boats which had landed their passengers and were now returning empty the nearest to him a tall woman of ample proportions was visibly affected by the ceremony she had just witnessed and dabbed from time to time at her eyes with a handkerchief but it was her companion who interested him she was short and slender her slightness accentuated by the long dress of black cloth and the small plain hat of the same colour which she wore a thick black veil hung down over her face and obscured it from his view but about her general appearance there was something strangely familiar in a moment gimblet knew what it was and where he had seen her before he had caught sight in her hand of a little bag of striped black satin with purple pansies embroidered at intervals upon it just such a bag had lain upon the table of his flat in whitehall a few weeks ago on the day when its owner had stolen the envelope entrusted to him by lord ashiel it is she breathed the detective the widow and for one wild moment he was on the point of accosting her and demanding his missing letter wiser counsels prevailed however and he moved away to the other side of the small group of mourners gathered on the stony beach when he ventured to look at her again it was over the shoulder of a stalwart highlander whose large frame effectually concealed all of the little detective except his hat and eyes a further surprise was in store for him the lady had lifted her veil and displayed the features of the girl he had watched in the library on the preceding night gimblet had seen enough he turned away and found juliet at his elbow she would have passed him by absorbed in her sorrow for the father she had found and lost in the space of one short hour but he laid his hand upon her arm tell me he begged who are those two ladies waiting for the boat juliet's eyes followed the direction of his own those she said are mrs klutzem and miss julia romaninov ah gimblet murmured they were among your fellow guests at the castle weren't they yes juliet's reply was short and a little cold she could not understand why the detectives should choose this moment to question her on trivial details IT SHOWED, SHE CONSIDERED, A LAMENTABLE LACK OF TACT, AND INVOLUNTARILY SHE RESENTED IT. BUT SURELY YOU TOLD ME THAT EVERYONE HAD LEFT IN VERISHIEL, PERSISTED GIMBLET, UNABASHED. HE SEEMED ABSURDLY EAGER FOR THE INFORMATION. NO DOUBT, JULIA REFLECTED BITTERLY, HE ADMIRED JULIA. MOST MEN WOULD. "'Mrs. Clutzam lives in another small house of my father's near here,' she replied stiffly. "'She asked Miss Romaninoff to stay with her for a few days till she could arrange where to go. "'This disaster naturally upset everyone's plans.' "'She has a beautiful face,' said Gimblet. "'Who would think?' he murmured, and stopped abruptly. "'Perhaps you would like me to introduce you.' Juliet spoke with lofty indifference, but the dismay in Gimblet's tone as he answered disarmed her on no account he cried the last thing besides for that matter he added truthfully we have met before then you will have the pleasure of renewing your acquaintance juliet suggested mischievously gimblet had shown himself so genuinely aghast that her resentful suspicions had vanished i expect to have an opportunity of doing so he agreed seriously that young lady he went on in a low confidential tone played a trick on me that i find it hard to forgive I look forward with some satisfaction to the day when the laugh will be on my side. I admit I ought to be above such paltry considerations, but what would you? I don't think I am. But please don't mention my presence to her or her friend. I imagine she has not so far heard of it.' "'I won't if you don't like,' said Juliet. "'I don't suppose I shall see them to speak to. But why do you feel so sure she doesn't know you are here?' "'Oh, how should she?' Gimblet returned evasively i don't suppose my presence would appear worth commenting upon to any one but yourself or lord ashiel unless lady ruth should mention it i don't think she will said juliet she said she could not speak to anyone one to-day and she and mark have gone off together in his own boat i said i would walk home won't you drive with me gimblet suggested he had hired a machine from the distant village of Inverlegen to carry him to and from the funeral BUT JULIET PREFERRED TO WALK, FINDING IN PHYSICAL EXERCISE THE ONLY RELIEF SHE COULD OBTAIN FROM THE ACHING TROUBLE THAT OPPRESSED AND SICKENED HER. GIMBLET DROVE BACK ALONE TO THE COTTAGE. HE HAD MUCH TO OCCUPY HIS THOUGHTS. ONCE BACK IN HIS ROOM HE TURNED HIS MIND TO THE WRITING ON THE SHEET OF PAPER. REMEMBER THAT WHERE THERE'S A WAY THERE'S A WILL. FACE CURIOSITY AND TAKE THE BULL BY THE HORN. The message, as Gimblet read it, was as puzzling as if it had been completely in cipher. If certain of the words possessed some arbitrary meaning to which the key promised by Lord Ashill would have furnished the solution, there seemed little hope of understanding the message until the key was found. The word way, for instance, may stand for another that had been previously decided on, and if rightly construed probably indicated the place where the papers were concealed. Will! FACE, CURIOSITY, BULL, AND HORN, WERE LIKELY TO REPRESENT OTHER VERY DIFFERENT WORDS, OR PERHAPS EVEN WHOLE SENTENCES. WITHOUT THE KEY IT WAS HOPELESS TO SEARCH ALONG THAT LINE. SUCH SEARCH MUST END AS IT WOULD BEGIN IN CONJECTURE ONLY. HE WOULD SEE IF ANYTHING MORE PROMISING COULD BE ARRIVED AT BY TAKING THE MESSAGE AS IT WAS, AND ASSUMING THAT ALL THE WORDS BORE THE MEANING USUALLY ATTRIBUTED TO THEM. For more than an hour Gimblet racked his brains to read sense into the senseless phrases, and at the end of that time was no wiser than at the beginning. Where there's a way there's a will. Was it by accident or design that the order in which the words way and will were placed was different from the one commonly assigned to them? Had Lord Ashel made a mistake in arranging the message, or did the will refer to his will and testament? If so, why should he take so roundabout a way of designating it? Doubtless because something more important than the will was involved. Indeed, if anything was clear from the ambiguous sentence and the precaution that Ashiel had taken, that though it fell into the hands of his enemies it should convey nothing to them, it was that he considered the mystification of the uninitiated a matter of transcendental importance." It was plain he contemplated the possibility of the nihilists knowing where to look for his message, and at the thought Gimblet shifted uneasily in his chair, remembering his first encounter with their representative. Face curiosity and take the bull by the horn. Perhaps those words, as they stood, contained some underlying sense, which at present it was hard to read in them. What it was seemed impossible to guess. TO TAKE THE BULL BY THE HORN IS A COMMON ENOUGH EXPRESSION, AND MIGHT REPRESENT NO MORE THAN A PIECE OF ADVICE TO ACT BOLDLY. ON THE WHOLE THAT WAS NOT LIKELY, FOR WOULD ANYONE WIND UP SUCH A CAREFULLY-VEILED COMMUNICATION WITH SO TRITE AND everyday A SAYING, OR FINISH SUCH AN OBSCURE MESSAGE WITH SO ORDINARY A SENTIMENT? FACE CURIOSITY, HOWEVER, WAS PERHAPS A DIRECTION HOW TO PROCEED. THE ONLY TROUBLE WAS TO KNOW WHAT IN THE WORLD IT MEANT whose curiosity was to be faced. The behaviors of members of a nihilist society could hardly be said to be impelled by that motive. Gimblet could not see that anyone else had shown any symptom of it. Had curiosity, then, some other meaning? The detective, as has been said, was an amateur of the antique. When not at work, a great part of his time was passed in the neighborhood of curiosity shops, and the merchandise they dealt in immediately occurred to him in connection with the word." did the dead man refer to some peculiarity of the ancient keep was there perhaps the figure or picture of a bull within the castle whose horn pointed to the ultimate place of concealment it would have seemed gimblet thought that the hidden receptacle in the secret stair was difficult enough to find but the reason the papers were not placed in there was plain to him after a minute's reflection it was doubtless because they were too bulky to be contained in the shallow drawer at all events there was certainly another hiding-place and on the whole the best plan seemed to be to see if the castle could produce any curiosity that would offer a solution of the problem to the castle accordingly he went and asked to see lord he was shown into the smoking-room where mark was kneeling on the hearth-rug surrounded by piles of folded and docketed papers the door of a small cupboard in the wall beside the fireplace stood open revealing a row of deep shelves stacked with the same neat packets still hunting for the will you see he said looking up as gimblet entered i'm beginning to give up hope of finding it but it's a mercy to have something to do these days rather a tedious job isn't it said the detective looking down at the musty tape bound bundles well it gives one rather a kink in the back after a time mark admitted "'But I shan't feel easy in my mind till I've looked through everything, and I'm getting a very useful idea of the estate accounts in the meantime. It is rather a long business, but I'm getting on with it, slow but sure. There are such a fearful lot.' "'Are all these cupboards full of papers?' Gimblet asked, looking around him at the numerous little doors in the panelling. "'Stuffed with them, every blessed one of them,' Mark replied rather gloomily. AND THE WORST OF IT IS, I'M PRETTY CERTAIN THEY'RE NOTHING BUT THESE DUSTY OLD BILLS AND LETTERS, BUT THERE'S NOWHERE ELSE TO LOOK, AND I KNOW HE KEPT NEARLY EVERYTHING HERE." GIMBLET SAUNTERED ROUND THE ROOM, PULLING OPEN THE DRAWERS, AND PEEPING IN AT THE PILES OF DOCUMENTS. WHAT AN ACCUMULATION, HE REMARKED. NONE OF THESE CUPBOARDS ARE LOCKED, I SEE, HE ADDED. NO, HE NEVER LOCKED ANYTHING UP, SAID MARK. I'VE HEARD HIM boast HE NEVER USED A KEY. DO YOU KNOW, IF ONE HAD TIME TO READ THEM, I BELIEVE SOME OF THESE OLD LETTERS MIGHT BE RATHER AMUSING. IT LOOKED AS IF MY GRANDFATHER AND HIS FATHERS HAD KEPT EVERY SINGLE ONE THAT EVER WAS WRITTEN TO THEM. I'VE JUST COME ACROSS ONE FROM RAYBURN, THE PAINTER, AND I SAW ANOTHER A QUARTER OF AN HOUR AGO FROM LORD CLIVE. REALLY, SAID GIMBLET eagerly. WHICH cupboard WERE THEY IN? I SHOULD LIKE TO SEE THEM IMMENSELY SOME TIME. THEY WERE IN THIS ONE, SAID MARK, POINTING TO THE SHELVES OPPOSITE HIM. Gimblet stood facing it, and looked hopefully round him in all directions for anything like a bull. There was nothing, however, to suggest such an animal, and he reflected that, interesting though these old letters might be, it would be going rather far to refer to them as curiosities. Suddenly an idea struck him. "'I suppose you haven't come across anything concerning a papal bull,' he inquired. "'No,' said Mark, looking up in surprise. "'It's not very likely I should, you know.' no i suppose not said gimblet still you old families did get a hold of all sorts of odd things sometimes and your uncle was a bit of a collector wasn't he uncle douglas said mark not he he didn't care a bit for that kind of thing you can see in the drawing-room the sort of horrors he used to buy he was thoroughly early victorian in his tastes and ought to have been born fifty years sooner than he was "'Dear me!' said Gimblet. "'I don't know why I thought he was rather by way of being a connoisseur. "'Well, well, I mustn't waste any more time. "'I wanted to ask you if you would mind my going all over the house. "'I may see something suggestive. "'Who knows? "'At present I have only examined the library in your uncle's bedroom.' "'By all means,' said Mark. "'Blanston will show you anything you want to see. "'Oh, by the way, you like to be alone, don't you? "'I was forgetting.' well go anywhere you like and good luck to your hunting on a writing-table in one of the bedrooms gimblet found a paperweight in the bronze shape of a spanish toro head down tail brandishing a fine emblem of goaded rage but there was nothing promising about the round mahogany table on which it stood no drawer secret or otherwise could all his measurings and tappings discover The animal, when lifted up by the horn and dangled before the detective's critical eye, proclaimed itself modern and of no artistic merit. It was like a hundred others to be had in any Spanish town, and by no expanding of terms could be considered a curiosity. Except for this one more than doubtful find, he drew the whole house absolutely blank there were very few specimens of ancient work in the castle which like so many other old houses had been stripped of everything interesting it contained in the middle of the nineteenth century and entirely refurnished and redecorated in the worst possible taste with the exception of some family portraits the lacquered clock in the library was the one genuine survival of the victorian holocaust and though gimblet passed nearly half an hour in contemplating it he could not see any way of connecting it with a bull nor was he a whit the wiser when he finally turned his back on it than he had been at the beginning End of chapter fourteen read by don w jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggy